All right, guys, let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then we're going to jump in pretty quick. So let me pray. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for bringing us here safely, waking us up, giving us hearts that desire these things. Lord, thank you for your word and how true it is and how amazing it is to be able to survey it the way we will be this morning and see the consistencies in it. Lord, it's baffling to me. It's been baffling to me all week as I've looked at this and seen so many different authors, so many different texts say such a consistent message about the state of man and what you did to save him, Lord. I, I am in awe of you. I'm worshiping you as I read your word this morning, Lord. I move our hearts this morning in your name. Amen. All right, so a couple of weeks ago, we started the God's Transformation of Man lesson. Um, we touched on uh, the unregenerate man and spent a lot of time on the regeneration event and then kind of closed with a real brief overview of the regenerate man. So I want to kind of go over that again a little bit as I set the stage, and we're going to spend most of the time on the regenerate man, what that is. Um, and so if you guys have this blue handout, um, it's super helpful. If you don't have one, um, they're in the back, and feel free to just run out and go grab one and come back. I won't be offended if I see a bunch of guys shuffle out. Um, I'm going to be referring to it most of the morning. See, I'm not offended. So, um, I'm going to be referring to it a lot, so it's helpful, and I'm going to basically grab one verse here and there throughout, um, but there's a lot of passages in this that I would just encourage you over the course of your homework this next couple of weeks to go through all of the verses and see kind of just what I was praying about, how consistent God's word is throughout the entirety of it about this topic. Um, so... Let's jump in. Um, you know, normally during build, we will open with a devotional that'll touch on one of the build disciplines. Um, and as we talked about before, the build disciplines are shepherding your heart, shepherding your home, being useful for ministry, um, being concerned with biblical qualifications, and um, and approaching scripture with the right hermeneutic. Um, those are the build disciplines, and normally that's what we'll start with. We'll spend some time, then we'll split up for discussion groups, talk about your homework from the last time, and then come back and hear a lesson um, from one of the elders. And that's generally the agenda. Like I said in the email, this week's a little different. I think there's one other session where we overlap with the biblical counseling ministry, and they're live streaming, and this is the only room they can live stream from, so we're going to kind of do things differently this morning and do things differently in I think October 9th, I can't remember. I'll, I'll know it when they come in here um, and kick us out. But in the meantime, um, we'll do kind of that normal agenda most times. This time and that time, we're going to just jump straight into our lesson, spend a lot of time on our lesson. It's going to be weird because you'll then go do discussion groups about two weeks ago, but we'll figure it out. Um, so here we go. Um, the unregenerate man... We're going to spend a lot of time this morning in Ephesians 2, so go ahead and turn there. Ephesians 2, 
so the unregenerate man is in an unmixed sinful condition he's apart and he's apart from Christ and he's sinful in this sinful condition since birth and Ephesians 2 1 and 2 talk about that um, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience and then there's a one-time event that happens for those who are saved, um, and that's accomplished by God in the gospel. So keep reading. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The regeneration event was a one-time event um, that accomplished a ton, and that's what we spent most of the time last time talking about. So if you open it up, you've got the bottom kind of triangle here that talks about everything related to the regeneration event. Um, if you missed last time, haven't had a chance to listen to the audio, that's really what we spent most of the time on last time, and I would encourage you to go through and look at all of the components of that regeneration event. That was a one-time event that happened at conversion, um, and it, it's huge. It, then you become a regenerate man, um, and that is... You're somewhere on this spectrum. And so I've talked about the dark to light transition where you, and, and it's a transition that's kind of highlighted a little bit um, throughout scripture, but it's, you know, we had the old man, we're putting to death the old man, we're becoming um, more like Christ over the period of our, the rest of our lives. And that is what is oftentimes referred to in scripture throughout um, just theology is progressive sanctification. And that's what I want to talk about. I want to look at what that mixed condition is. Um, so that mixed condition means we still have sin. We still are fighting sin, but we're a regenerate man. Um, Galatians 5.17 says that we have a proneness to sin, yet we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, We have a new identity in Christ, but by his doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Romans 6 Verses 6 and 7 tells us that we are freedom. We have a freedom from slavery. And this, our, we have a freedom from the slavery of sin. Um, and so those verses say, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. And then we have the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to Galatians 5 together. 
Um, and you can keep your finger in Ephesians 2 because I'll be right back there. Um, Galatians 5, I'm going to start in verse 16, I believe. I'm reading most of the rest of the chapter. Um, yeah, let's go. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's a conflict there. Um, it's, there's desires in you of the flesh, and there's a spirit in you, and you need to, to deal with those desires. So, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, against such things, there is no law. For those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another and being one another. This is an exhortation to Christians to walk by the Spirit. Um, this isn't something that um, is just, you flip a switch and it's done, but you actually have intentionality. You have to be exhorted to it. You have to be shepherding your heart towards it. So when we talk about you know, the Grace Bible Church language of shepherding your heart, um, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about putting to death the things of the flesh and walking by the Spirit. And we'll touch on how to do that some in a minute, and we'll talk, talk about how to do that a lot over the course of the year. Um, so let's go back to Ephesians. I don't know why I turned the wrong way. Um, let's go back to Ephesians and keep reading on um, in verse 3. Actually, where did I leave off? Whatever. We're going to start in verse 3. Um... Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, wrath even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love that with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. And this is the next point. We are created as regenerate men for good works. Um, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. One of the character traits of a regenerate man 
is God created good works for us before the foundations of the earth. Um, and what makes that whole section so sweet, and the reason I didn't just jump into verse 10, is because you look at what the works were that we had before. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were running from God. We were living for our lusts. We were living for ourselves. And God did something and changed us and then made us for good works so that we can walk with them. And, yeah. And he gave us an ability to obey him. And we could see that in Philippians 2. If I read the context of every single verse I have here, we're going to be here till 5 p.m. Um, and so I'm skipping a lot of context on this passage, but it's a good one. So go back and read Philippians 2 in its entirety. Um, what I want to just touch on is that we have now have an ability to obey God that we did not have beforehand. And 2.13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how we had no, we had no ability to not sin, and now God works in us to do good works. Um, what a sweet truth that is. And yet, Galatians 5.17 says we have a proneness to sin. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. Um, there's an ability to do good works, and yet a proneness to sin. Um, we have, as regenerate men, ongoing faith. Uh, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And then we have progress in Christ-likeness. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with unveiled face, face, beholding as in a mirror of... Eh, let me try that again. But we all, with unveiled faith... The third time's a charm. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So what does this require? If we're in this mixed condition, what does it require of the regenerate man, of the believing man? Um, the first thing, God's relentless transformation of the believer. It requires God. Second um, Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Who's the actor in that? God. Um, it requires the believer's diligent pursuit of holiness. This is our role, and this is so important. We have to be diligently pursuing holiness. Um, turn with me to 1 Peter 1. Thank you. 
Verse 3 starts with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. Jeremiah 17.9 says we have a wariness about indwelling sin. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then let's go to Mark 7. Starting in, we'll start in verse 14. And after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. What defiles man is what's inside of him. Let's go on and keep reading. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he, is, when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of the man, proceeds the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. The heart of man is what's wicked. It's inside of us. It's our flesh. That's what defiles us. We have to be wary of that. We can't trust our hearts. We can't trust what's inside of us naturally without Christ. We have to be shepherding our hearts in a way that draws us towards holiness. Hebrews 3 describes this perseverance. Verses, starting in verse 12, it says, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God, 
but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. There's perseverance there. So what are some of the key descriptions of the regenerate man? We're in a mixed condition. We have sinful desires and a new uh, spirit living with us that gives us the ability to please God. We are able to not sin. There is a fight within us. It's against sin and for Jesus. We are slaves to God. Um, righteous and obedient. There's residual sin and regeneration, and they're evident in us. They're evident in our thoughts, in our emotions, in our motives, and in our actions. We are able to shepherd our hearts away from sin and towards God. We're able to do that. And, praise God, we are not under his wrath. This, as Christians, is our present state. This is why we have this ministry, because we want to encourage men in this church to shepherd their hearts towards holiness, to shepherd their hearts towards a love for God, to help fight the sin that is in us so that we can grow in Christ-likeness, so that we can grow in a love for God, so that we can grow um, and, be, and the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in our lives. This is what this ministry is for. Um, but this ministry isn't just me teaching this, Omri teaching this, Tom teaching this. This is you guys actively going to God's Word and shepherding your hearts. Um, we have discussion groups for a reason, and some of that is so that we can talk through how we do this, so we can encourage one another towards this. Um, I know many of you guys are taking build for the third, fourth, twelfth time. I don't even know how many I've been in. Um, enough that they put me in front um, so it, it doesn't stop we don't graduate from this there isn't like hey man I finished build now I know how to shepherd my heart and I'm good um, it's a constant pursuit and a battle and what's awesome is it's progressive um, I thank God and my wife really thanks God that I am not the man I was 20 years ago God has grown me in his likeness over the last 20 years through um, just a constant, persistent pursuit of him. Um, and it's been sweet. It's been exciting. And it's hard. Um, and you, there's sin where you're like, man, I nailed that. I've got that one in my back pocket. Now I can move on. And then it rears its ugly head. Um, and just as a little confession, um, if you know me, if you're in my small group, this won't be a surprise to you. Um, most of my life, I have battled contentment. Um, I had a paper route at 12 and spent all the money on baseball cards, then DVDs or CDs. It's just been a constant like pursuit of stuff. Um, and, and God has, rec I've recognized through his grace the sin in that. And, and it's been sweet to watch um, just my heart and my desires change. Um, but last year, I think it was? No, end of 2019, 
Um, it reared its ugly head again, and I didn't even realize it. And it, it's kind of dumb, but I was buying fountain pens, like a lot of them. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's way more than you think. Um, and didn't even think about it. Like, was just like, oh, that's a cool pen. I'm going to buy it. And then, like, six months later, Jenna was cleaning my office, and it's like, how many fountain pens do you have? So then she logged into the fountain pen website I was buying from. It's like, do you have any idea how much money you spent on fountain pens? I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> so she told me. It was silly. She's like, Matt, this is sin again. Um, this is contentment. It's right there all over again. And I was struck in that moment because I just didn't even realize that it had reared its ugly head again in my life. And, um, and I, I haven't bought a fountain pen since like June of 2020 or whenever that was. Um, but there's like sin can creep in. It can come back and you don't even see it coming. Um, and it's important to be shepherding our hearts, to be pursuing holiness. And I'm thankful that whatever I spent on fountain pens, you can ask me later, but I'm not going to put it on a tape. Um, <laughs> whatever I spent on fountain pens um, didn't put our house in a financial negative situation, um, but it could have. Sin could have had way more destructive effects on my home in those moments, and it didn't. Um, and that's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that my wife is there. Um, and that I share my passwords with everything, and <laughs> that she was able to call me out on sin and wasn't reluctant to do it. Um, and it's the grace of God that I continue to pursue him. Um, but it can be discouraging in the mo those moments. And so when it is, one of the things I like to remind myself of is the next section of this um, lesson, which is who we will be um, when we're in heaven. What does the heavenly man look like? Hey, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Catch me later. There's like 40 of them in my drawer. <laughs> um. Um. There is such sweetness to the truth of what we're going to be in heaven. Um, we will be with Christ, and we will no longer have this battle. We will no longer be in this unmixed, or in this mixed condition, but it will be unmixed, and it will be sinless, and we'll be made righteous. righteous. Um, let's turn together to 1 Corinthians 15. Starting in verse 50, it says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this imperishable, for this perishable must 
put on the imperishable, and the, this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then we will come up about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's two descriptions of the heavenly man in this passage. Imperishable and immortal. Imperishable is incapable of being corrupted or spoiled. The believer will be beyond the reach of corrupting sin. Verse 52, the dead will be raised imperishable. 53, this perishable must put on the imperishable. And 54, when this perishable will have put on the imperishable. Each of these is describing a condition that is not and cannot be corrupted or flawed by sin. Sin's penalty was removed at the cross. Sin's power was removed at the resurrection. And sin's presence is removed at eternity. That is so encouraging. When you are discouraged by the battle against sin, this is the passage to go to. And it, it says that. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of God, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This passage was written to those who are discouraged in their battle against sin so that we could be encouraged by what will happen um, in death and in the resurrected um, state. The other description of the heavenly man is he's immortal. Um, he is beyond the reach of death. When sin entered this world, so did death. Um, and yet, when Christ went to the cross, he put away death. Um, 54. This mortal must put on immortality. Death is swallowed up in the victory, and the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Death has no power over a person, only where sin is, or death has power over a person, only where sin is present. There is no place for death when sin is no longer present. That's the heavenly man. We're in an unmixed condition in that state, and it's characterized by several things. Um, the first one is we will be at home with the Lord. Second Corinthians 5.8 says, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. Heaven is the permanent home of the Christian. It is where he is at home. It is where he is at rest. His home isn't here. And here there is no true rest. We'll resemble Jesus in that state. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God. It, is not, it has not appeared as yet what we will be. For we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. Other belief systems take this verse to mean that we become little G-gods. 
Um, but that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches we will be like Jesus and that we will be immortal and free from death. We will be free from sin. Sin won't have its sting. We will see Christ for what he really is. A perfectly clear vision of Christ. Colossians 3, 4, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This is a reference to the day of the Lord. When Jesus returns to earth to establish his rule here for a thousand years, and the saints will be with him. Revelation 19.14 Armies of Christ clothed in white linen are following him out of heaven. And 1 Thessalonians 3.13 says, Jesus will appear with his saints at his coming. The saint will be seen by those on earth at the coming of Christ as immortal and imperishable. Jude 24 says that we will be blameless and full of joy. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. The setting here is eternity in heaven. The Christian will be blameless in that state because Christ has taken the blame for their sin at the cross. There will be no death or sadness. Uh, Revelation 21.4 And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. And there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. There will be no death because sin's presence has been removed. There will be no sadness because with the removal of sin, the Christian's only experience will be to comprehend the boundless glory of God. That's so sweet. There will be no curse or night. Revelation 22, 3 and 5 says there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, the river of life. And his bondservants will serve him and there will no longer be any night. No curse because of the occasion for the curse, the sin has been removed. And no night because the Christian is in the presence of the Lord and his glory illuminates all the earth. The heavenly man is characterized by these things, an unmixed condition, who is unable to sin, who is unable to displease God, because he's imperishable. There will no longer be the fight. We will be, imper we will be perfectly enslaved to God. We will be perfectly righteous in all our faculties. Our thoughts, our emotions, our motives, our actions, there will no longer be a need to shepherd our heart. We will be enveloped with God's joy. We will enter into the joy of our master, as it says in Matthew 25. And the master will reward us, the faithful servant. So how do you get from the regenerate man to the heavenly man? From the unmixed to the mixed, or from the mixed to the unmixed and sinless. Jesus actually wants us in that condition. He prayed to his Father in John 17 for us to gain that condition. It says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Knowing the state of the heavenly man 
is an encouragement to help us pursue holiness. Um, and it's, it's the default position. It's where we will be most comfortable. Um, scripture talks about a couple of ways for that to happen. Um, death is one. Departing the land of the dying and going home. So what are some of the characteristics of death for the believer? Um, it's a disintegration of the inner from the outer. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about this. Starting in verse 1, it says, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then verse 8 says, We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body is to be home with the Lord. Here on earth, the inner man and the outer man are integrated. They're together. Death disintegrates that. It separates the inner and the outer man. But while death separates the two, the soul continues on, even though the body is dead. 2 Timothy 4.18 tells us that um, we have a safe journey home. These are Paul's last recorded words and what he was confident of. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The word will there. Paul knows with certainty that death will usher him from this life into God's kingdom. The Christian, the one who perseveres to the end, is called to view death this way. It is the event that transports him safely into God's kingdom. So death is the triggering event for the Christian's safe passage to heaven. If you've spent time with a Christian as he's dying, you see that. You see them longing to be in that state. You see them ready to be in that state. I remember, and some of you guys know Johnny Beckman, he was such a sweet member of this church. Um, he and I had been meeting together nearly weekly for nearly a decade. And um, he'd been sick for a while, went to the doctor, found out that he had um, pretty progressive cancer, um, and he didn't last very much longer from that point when he found out. And I was at his bedside 24, 36 hours before he passed away. And he couldn't read anymore. But um, when he checked into the hospital, I remember uh, me asking, hey, Johnny, is there anything I can get you, anything you need? And he's like, on my bedside table is my Bible, and it has my prayer list, and I want to be praying for everybody before I die. Um, and in those last hours, um, he's like, I can't read anymore. Can you just read God's word to me to remind me what it's going to be like? Um, and it was so sweet. Like, he was so ready to just be with Jesus. Um, and it was so sweet to see him um, just finish well. And this was a guy that, if you guys were here before he died, you may not have seen him. Um, he just served in the back, served well, loved the body, prayed for everyone in our small group hours a day, and was ready to go home and meet a Savior. Um, it, was, it was so sweet. And that will be in my mind um, for the rest of my life the way that he just, he died well. He knew this truth. He knew where he was going. He knew this wasn't his home. 
Um, and he was excited to go home and be with his Savior. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death separates the soul of the Christian from his physical body. The soul of the Christian will never be separated from Christ. Death in scripture is often called sleep. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us that young believers in the church in Thessalonica um, were persecuted for their faith and they knew they had Christ as new believers in this life. And they wanted to know how the saint could still have Christ after they died. And Paul answered in 4.13 and said, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. This isn't physical sleep here. Rather, Paul is saying, in the same way that a sleeping person continues to exist, but has passed from consciousness into sleep, the dead saint has passed from life, this life, to the next life. Paul is emphasizing that the inner man continues to exist. We are precious to God. In Psalm 116, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. God's covenant care for the Old Testament saint was unaffected by the saint's death. The saint has every assurance that God, from God himself that his loving care will continue into death. And that means that it is gain, that death is actually gain. And we know that. We all know the verse, to live is Christ. To die is gain. Um, to possess all the benefits of death, precious to God, inseparable from Jesus, safely in home, in heaven, is immeasurably better than any experience in this world. The best experience in this world is not as good as death. Death removes the Christian from this world. Death extricates the Christian from this mixed condition. Death ushers the Christian soul permanently into the presence of God. I'm going to pause for a second and let's just marvel at Scripture. Think about how this book was written over thousands of years by many authors and how consistent it is in these truths how consistent it is knowing what unregenerate man looks like what regenerate man looks like what heavenly man looks like there's no contradiction here in scripture um, it, it's so sweet to know these truths and to know um, that God has revealed them to us I, I, I've just been blown away this week because it's, it's just, it's so consistent.
So another way um, to become the heavenly man is through the rapture. The translation of tra or transformation of the living into the resurrected body. This specifically relates to those saints who are alive when Christ returns to take the church to be with him. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 is the best, most clear passage about this. Um, actually, let's turn there for a second. I spent a lot of my young Christian life in a um, in, in a belief system, and and just had a lot of confusion about um, eschatology, about end times theology, and and would constantly answer, "Well, I, I don't worry about that. I don't have to worry about that. Like, I'm not going to debate it with you. Um, I, I know when Jesus comes, I'll be okay." Um, and, and yet this passage corrects that thinking very well. Um, we talked about this before, but the believers in Thessalonica were concerned about what happened to the death of believers. They thought Jesus was going to come in their lifetime. There were believers dying. They're like, what, how is this going to work? Um, they missed out on Jesus. Um, and so Paul encourages them. I'm going to read 13 through 18. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the, un, of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. The doctrine of the rapture is not reserved for people who are going to be there at the end. It's reserved for those of us who are believers to be comforted by what's going to happen. Uh, these truths are so important. Don't avoid eschatology. Sit in it because it's comforting truths to help encourage the believer. The last state, and I kind of want to jump on this briefly. So, it's if you, I don't know where the blue thing went. If you open this up, the last stage is the resurrection here. Um, it's integration of the perfect inner man and in the glorified body. The raising of the dead body into the resurrected body. 
This is the experience of every Christian who dies before Jesus returns to take the church out of this world to be with him. We will have a new physical glorified body. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly, and the second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Verse 42 says, We are raised imperishable. The new body is untarnished by sin, raised in glory. The body is no longer under the curse of sin. It is raised in power. The body is no longer characterized by human frailties. It is raised a spiritual body. The saint no longer possesses a body in accordance with human nature. When the Christian is raised from the dead, his body will be nothing like the one that died. Rather, it will bear new characteristics, imperishable, glorious power, spiritual, the same characteristics as the heavenly hosts who have always been there. The dead in Christ first, and then the raptured saints. The resurrection of the dead saints occurs before the transformation of the living saints. This is God's design for how the regenerate man in a mixed condition is transformed into the heavenly man in an unmixed, sinless condition. So I want to make a couple of observations. First, in Christ, you are not in the unmixed, sinful condition of the old man. That has passed away and can never be your condition again. You are a new creature that is different than that one. The fact that you are still influenced by sin does not mean that you have slipped back into that unmixed condition. And second, you are not yet in the ultimate unmixed condition with Christ. Not yet being in that condition is as much the design of God as it is that you can never go back into your old condition. God's design is that we live here in this mixed condition for a period of time. And it glorifies God in your mixed condition. When you fight for holiness. This is a better condition than where you were before, but it's not as good as what you'll have someday. There are two perspectives on the Christian life. There's position and practice. The position you have as a Christian before God is perfect. God has declared you righteous, but the practice is progressing. You have new desires to obey Jesus and indwelling sin hanging around. Sin no longer has authority over you, but instead it appeals to you with attractive lies. 
It's a good way of thinking about it. It doesn't have authority, but it still appeals to you by lying to you about what it can bring. So all that makes you a mixed creature is much conflict within. That is good. The fact that there is a fight shows that you are a regenerate man. The fact that you have a battle against indwelling sin shows that God has done something. Um, and you have to be diligent to battle indwelling sin. So our conclusion is, we need to be shepherding our hearts. We need God. We need his word. God saved the Christian into a mixed condition, and this condition provides, requires, demands strength and grace in the days ahead. That's why a Christian needs to utilize God's means of grace. The two primary means of grace for us to um, pursue holiness is to allow him to inform you through the daily reading of his word and then communicate with him through prayer. Um, the answer to all of this theology that we've talked about for the last couple of weeks is read the Bible and pray. Read the Bible and pray. Be in God's word. Don't let the Bible and prayer be something that you fit into everything else. It has to be something you hold on to, you cling to. You know you can't be the person that you want to be without it. Years ago, I've said that. I've said this. Um, I go to God's word on a daily basis because I hate the guy I am when I'm not. I hate how quick sin can creep in. I hate how easy it is for me to deprioritize um, meeting with my Savior. I don't understand it. And I fight against that desire. And I fight for God's word. I fight for prayer. I plead with God to give me desires to serve him more and to be more in his likeness. And that's what we need to do. Um, that's, you know, this is the deep end of the theology pool. And the answer is, we just need to be praying. We just need to be in God's word. We need to open up God's word like it's a love letter from our Savior to us about who he is. Um, I don't think we really get letters very much from loved ones anymore, but when Jenna and I were dating, um, I went on a trip to Mexico and she sent me a letter that I had to open every, like she dated it every day I was gone. She doesn't really do that anymore. Anyway, she dated it every day I was gone and I would open a letter from her um, and she knew what my itinerary was and talked to me in those moments and all day long, I would read those letters and be excited that um, this was my girlfriend. That was pretty sweet. And, um, and it, no one had to remind me, hey, Matt, did you read the letter from Jenna today? Like, the first thing I did when I woke up was, and I had to be disciplined not to read tomorrow's. Um, and we need to go to God's word that way. The first thing we do is go, oh, man, I want to meet with my Savior today. Um, that's the approach we need to have to God's word. So let me close this in prayer, and then we'll break for discussion groups. Lord God, you are so gracious to give us your word 
to save us, to make us instantly righteous before you so that we can meet with you. Lord, to give us the ability to pursue you. Lord, to put us in this mixed condition so we can cling to you and know what it's like to put all of our trust in you, knowing that none of this can be done on our own. Lord, I, I love you so much for the way that you've done and revealed yourself to us in the state that you've given us. Lord, we rejoice at your truths. Help us not to be a temporary thought about you, Lord. Help us to meditate on this throughout the week, weeks to come, years to come. Lord, you're so gracious. Thank you. In your name. Amen.